Well, join me, if you would, in the book of Titus, chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, if you're just joining us for the first time here today, over the last couple weeks, we started uh, working through the book of Titus together, and this morning we uh, find ourselves in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. Uh, We have some very powerful over-the-counter medicines at our disposal that can make our lives so much better when we're sick. For example, Benadryl is power, powerful. If your allergies are aflame, uh, it could provide relief. Uh, we may get here in a couple weeks and, and spring hits, and Benadryl may be the only thing uh, that helps you just be able to fall asleep at night. I know that'll be the case for me. In a few weeks, I'll cut my grass one time. And those first couple times, I'm going to be a complete mess. My eyes will be swollen. I'll feel disgusting. And uh, you, you get to those moments, and something like Benadryl might be extremely helpful. But to be honest, you could probably just take the much cheaper off-brand. I think it's called uh, Diphenhydramine. Uh, I think it's basically the same thing as Benadryl. Uh, Tylenol is also powerful. If you've got a splitting headache, it might ease your suffering and allow you to find some relief. But again, you could probably just take the generic off-brand stuff. I think it's a set of medicine. I'm not sure if it's the exact same thing, but it's pretty close. Probably going to more or less do the same things for you. Uh, not everything, though has a reliable off-brand. Much like the scripture reading we just read, God has given us something so powerful and so potent that it radically changes the lives of all who embrace it. And we call it the gospel. And at the very center of this message of good news is a person, Jesus Christ. There's no off-brand of the gospel that, that could do what the one and only gospel can do. And anything else is just some kind of placebo that tries to uh, fool you into thinking that you're okay and that you're well, when in reality you're gravely ill. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think this is so important, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can powerfully change people's lives or even change them at all. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. However, there are a million and one teachers Uh, peddling some kind of off-brand Christianity that's no gospel at all. Uh, Maybe a few examples of that would be, um, well, one one thing would be something that's recently been labeled within the last couple of years, the American Gospel, a little docu-series came out uh, called the American Gospel, which is basically referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ plus the American dream and, and wedding those two things together. As Titus in in this chapter is going to talk or refer to something we might label the Jewish gospel, which is Jesus Christ, in order to be saved and have your sins forgiven and be on your way to heaven and be right with God, you need Jesus Christ, plus you need a bunch of Jewish stuff, like circumcision and the Old Testament law. Uh, We might label something else the performance gospel. You need Jesus Christ and you need your good works to be right with God, have your sins forgiven, be on your way to heaven. Uh, We also refer to something else called easy believism. We can maybe say the easy believism gospel. uh, Repeat after me and you'll be good. Or the conscience gospel, Jesus plus somebody's conscience and somebody's interpretation of scripture. I mean, there are all kinds of off-brands of Christianity and off-brands of this thing called the gospel that are no gospel at all. But people are extremely vulnerable to skillful false teachers of those messages. And because that threat is real, you must be on guard against false teaching, which is where Titus, where Paul turns our attention next in this book of Titus. Look with me. Titus chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading back up in verse 9 
and read down through verse 16. Verse 9 is, uh, begins with the last qualification given for pastors or elders. It says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths or the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. We want to look this morning at a few safeguards against false teaching. Uh, three, and the, the first would be you must identify false teachers carefully. Look back at verse 10. Paul writes, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. False teaching could creep into your heart. It could actually creep into your home. It could even creep into your church. And think about this for a moment. All of that could happen and you don't even realize it. I mean, that's the nature of how this works. And in order to keep that from happening, you need to be able to identify false teachers as soon as they make their presence known. How do you do that? That's what Paul wants to help the, these, these brand new churches on the island of Crete be able to do. Well, for starters, you need to expect their presence. Paul begins verse 10 with, there are many. You need to expect that the, false, the, the presence of false teachers in your midst and in your world all around you. False teachers are, are numerous and active. They're a dime a dozen. They're all over the place. And you need to expect their presence. Question for you. Maybe to, to get you thinking along these lines. If false teaching were to enter your life, uh, what channels would it enter through? I think maybe, well, that, that's probably not going to happen to me. It's probably not going to happen to me or my family or, or my home or my church. Well, why don't we assume for a moment that this is a real possibility. And if it was going to happen, how would it happen? Well, maybe a few things come to mind. Um, Maybe per, perhaps through the, the books that you read or what you listen to or what and who you interact with online. I mean, just think of all that's at our fingertips on the internet alone. Awesome, right? I mean, in your Christian faith, there are so many resources available to you, which is such a great blessing that you can use and, and grow through. Well, that could also be very dangerous if those resources aren't healthy and good. Um, where, where could this come? I mean, there are so many channels that false teaching could enter your life through. You need to expect their presence, the presence of false teachers. And you also need to know their teaching. Uh, Paul summarizes it in verse 10 so that we can identify it. You don't need to know everything about it, but you do need to be able to identify it. And the hallmark of false teaching is that it opposes or it contradicts the Bible. The last qualification given for an elder back in verse 9 is that he be devoted to the Bible. Paul is reminding Titus, listen, as you go and you appoint pastors, as you appoint elders from church to church all over the island of Crete, it is so 
critical that these men be devoted to the word of God. Why? Well, one reason that he gives there at the end of verse 9 is that so, so that he, the elder, may be able to rebuke those who contradict it. Contradict what? The Bible. And then verse 10 connects these two verses together and it explains he needs to be able to do this. And here's the explanation. There are many of these people, these false teachers. And the teachers described in verse 10 are people who contradict the Bible. That's what they do. How so? Well, Paul gives three ways that they do that. First, their teaching denies the authority of the word of God. Verse 10 begins with there are many who are insubordinate. To what? To what are they insubordinate? Well, based on verse 9, to God and his word. False teachers and their teaching are not subject to the absolute authority of the word of God. And typically, by the way, they're not just going to flat out reject it. They're not going to flat out reject the authority of the Bible. It's much more subtle than that. The way that the authority of the Bible is rejected is actually by mixing it with something else. They'll mix the authority of the Bible with the authority of something else. It's What it is, is actually it's the denial of the absolute authority of the word of God. It's the authority of the Bible plus the authority of something else. Like what? Well, yeah, I mean, the Bible's authoritative, but, but the Pope and church tradition, those are also authoritative. Yes, the Bible's authoritative, but there's also this prophet over here or this very important teacher or this leader of our whole group. Yes, the Bible's authoritative, but there's also this other book. The Book of Mormon or, or this, this book over here or this, this extra biblical revelation that came after the Bible had been written. Their teaching denies the authority of God's word. A second way that, it's opposed, that they're opposed to God's word, their teaching lacks the value of God's word. Verse 10 describes them as empty talkers. Unlike teaching that's true to the word of God, false teaching is void of value. It's just empty talk. Going back to a statement that I already made, it's only the word of God can change people's lives. Only the gospel can change people's lives. And a third way that we see them in opposition, their teaching twists the truth of God's word. Verse 10 goes on to describe them as deceivers. They are mind deceivers. They mislead people by taking the truth of the word of God and twisting it. And one of the things that's so dangerous is that there's always a huge element of truth within false teaching. Making it, uh, if you're not careful, it it can actually be quite difficult to spot and discern because you you may have uh, 90% truth 10% 10% error, but the way that 10% influences every, I mean, it's just, it just, it defiles it all. There's always a large element of truth in false teaching, which is why it's so dangerously deceptive. Uh, when we got our grade reports growing up in elementary school, my, my parents used to take us to a place called Baskin Robbins to get ice cream, which advertised themselves, at least at the time, as having uh, 31 flavors of ice cream. False teaching Uh, It's much the same. It comes in 31 plus flavors. But when you boil it down, it's typically the same garbage. It's typically some form of of legalism, uh, the gospel plus your performance, or some form of license where here's this great news of Jesus Christ, and and now that you're saved, you can go live however you want. It's just an overemphasis actually on grace 
uh, or then maybe a third form would actually be moralism. It be this, be that, do this, do that. And, and we would certainly <clears throat> preach that way when we open up God's word. But when we do that, we're trying to tether that to Christ and to the gospel, not just, just preaching that in isolation. The flavor of the month in Crete seems to be legalism. According to verse 10, the primary false teachers in Crete were those of the circumcision party. Uh, elsewhere in scripture, that phrase is typically used to refer to those who, who converted to Christianity from Judaism. So these false teachers here in, in Crete are professing Jewish Christians within the church. They are professing Christ. They are professing to be saved. And they've got a Jewish background. A Jewish people, to, get, to give you some history and kind of remind you what was going on in the book of Acts, is, as Paul traveled from place to place on his journeys, he often went to the synagogue first. And the gospel would move from the synagogue and it would move out. So what happened is, is he would go preach the gospel in synagogues. Often Jews were coming to Christ and got saved in the synagogues, but they uh, were often very prone to cling to their old ways and traditions. Uh, things like circumcision, that was a huge part of their, their faith and religion. Circumcision was necessary to be a good Jew, but not necessary to be a good Christian. So these false teachers are probably teaching some kind of works-based salvation or works-based Christian growth, works-based Christian life. Yes, there's Jesus. Yes, there's this message. But there's also all this other stuff from Judaism that you need too if you're going to be right with God. Imagine that you just landed a sweet new job in quality control at a marble factory. I mean, I'd love to see what a marble factory is like and how all those marbles are made. Each day, thousands of marbles are going to pass by you on a conveyor belt. And your job is really simple. It's not that complicated. You just got to pick out the bad ones and chuck them. Just all the bad marbles, pick them out and chuck them. Day one training. Here's what a good marble looks like. It's all you need to know. Here's what it's supposed to look like. If it doesn't look like this, toss it out. Well, you go to your workstation. And when you go there, you're operating under the basic assumption that bad marbles are going to pass in front of you. That, that's why you have this job. You don't know what they're going to look like. You don't all know all the varieties that those bad marbles are going to come in. You just know that they're a real thing and they're going to pass by on this conveyor belt. Uh, next thing you know, you found a marble. Well, that one's foggy. You grab it, you toss it out. It, it shouldn't look like that. Well, that one's not round. It's oblong. Toss it. Uh, that one, the little swirly thing is sort of, I don't know, messed up. It didn't work right. You toss it. The next one's cracked or chipped or split in two. You, you grab those broken pieces and you, you just toss them. You expected bad marbles to come and you knew how, how to identify them. I mean, it, here's a good marble. That, that's not it. And you grab it, you chuck it. And you succeeded at your task. And that's really something similar to that's what needs to happen with false teaching. Here's the truth of the gospel. Here's the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. That's the treasure. And anything that's different than that, no, 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 that's got to go. And if it's works-based or, or if the Christian life turns into some kind of me trying to perform or buy God's favor or whatever, no, no, that's not right. You have to know what the gospel is. That it's not by works. That this is something, a free gift from God. God's called us to repent and to, live, and to believe and trust in Christ. 
and then live in a way that pleases him by his grace. Because the threat is real, you must identify false teachers carefully. You need to expect their presence and know their teaching. And the best way to spot false teaching is to know what true teaching looks like. It's to know what the gospel is. It's to know what the Bible actually says. You need to know your Bible and the gospel really well. And it doesn't matter how many years you've been saved or how long you've been a Christian. God wants you to keep growing in your understanding of his word and of his truth. A second safeguard against false teaching. You must silence false teachers quickly. Verse 11 begins... Paul says to Titus, they must be silenced. Uh, businesses and schools, they often have no tolerance policies for things like bullying and harassment. And as soon as those things show up, they deal with it right away. Just no, we are not tolerating this, period. And it's got to be that way in your heart, in your home, and your church with false teaching. You can't be tolerant of listening to it. And it must be silenced. Silencing false teaching is commanded and is crucial. Look at verse 11. Paul writes there, They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. False teaching is dangerous. In Crete, it was actually destroying entire households, entire families. Paul might have been referring in verse 11 to individual families within the church, or it's also... A, it's, very possible that he's referring to, uh, when he talks about households or families, that he's referring to uh, whole congregations that met in people's homes. Church households, so to speak. False teaching is so destructive and lethal. And Paul says, it's got to be silenced and it's got to be dealt with right away. Verse 11 explains too that the motive for false teaching is often quite disgraceful. Uh, the false teachers in Crete were teaching for shameful gain. They, they, they were making money off of this. It was shameful or disgraceful gain, not because teachers shouldn't be paid. I mean, Paul talks about elsewhere in Scripture how there's, that's appropriate. But this is shameful because they are getting this money by teaching error. They're, they're, getting, they're becoming wealthy by pointing people away from Jesus and away from the gospel. Silencing false teaching is commanded and it's crucial, but how is it to be done? Well, it's achieved through rebuke. In the middle of verse 13, Paul says there, he says, rebuke them sharply. Correct them rigorously. Don't mess around. And I think our temptation is when we encounter this, or if, if maybe that were to creep into our church or our home, Think, I don't know, it's probably not that bad, it's probably not that dangerous, and we just sort of maybe tend to let it go. Paul says, don't mess around. And we, we see the necessity of the rebuke, and we find that that is human nature. Look at verses 12 and 13. Uh, Paul gives some context here to the Cretans and their culture. He, he says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then in verse 13, unfortunately, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So verse 12 mentions a secular prophet or teacher. Most people identify him as Epimenides, who lived about five to six hundred years before Titus wrote. So five to six hundred years prior, uh, this uh, secular prophet from Crete said, here's what my people are like. 
and over the centuries that proved to be true time and time again. So verse 12 contains an evaluation of the Cretans by one of their own fellow countrymen, and it's not pretty. He says, here are my people, and here are what we are like. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. In verse 13, Paul affirms like, yeah, he wasn't just saying that. This is actually true. You ask people from the countries around us, people that travel through here, this is an accurate summation of the people of Crete. And it becomes the basis for the rebuke that's needed. Uh, The Cretans were a people known for being deceptive, animalistic, lazy. Everyone knew this about the Cretans. And the young Christians on the island, they had been saved out of that. That was them too. And yet God had delivered them from that. He had made them new creatures in Christ. But the false teachers were representing uh, those things that were true of the Cretans. And so a strong rebuke was needed. And the means of rebuke, we see that that's biblical truth. Uh, Verse 13 says, rebuke them sharply. If we rewind back a few verses, it becomes clear what a person is to be rebuked with. Um, This whole rebuke them sharply, you can get the wrong idea that somehow in anger, it's just let them have it. How, how, How does this rebuke happen? What does it happen with? Well, look back up at verse 9. Last qualification given for elders or or pastors. He must hold firm to what? The trustworthy word, the, the Bible, the scriptures. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Why? So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So how how does the rebuke happen? What's needed for the rebuke to happen? The word of God. The trustworthy word, proper rebuke of false teaching can only be done with God's truth. You correct error with truth. And the purpose of this rebuke we see in verses 13 and 14 is spiritual health. The end of verse 13 says that they may be sound in the faith. That's why this rebuke is coming. The rebuke, though firm, is meant to be both educational and restorative. The purpose is the spiritual health of God's people. And I think it's important to remember here that uh, false teaching could be coming from two different types of people. Maybe more. There's a big difference between a deliberate false teacher, the, the type of person he's probably talking about here that's doing this intentionally and they're getting rich off of it. And it's this big scam and it, it's so wrong through and through and through. But you could also have a person who heard that teaching and and imbibed it and believed it and thought, wow, that's really, really good. I mean, I want to be right with God, so it's all about my performance. And and they're like, yeah, that must be true. And and then they they believe that. And next thing you know, they're teaching it and they're leading others down that path. And they're doing it sincerely thinking they're right and they're dead wrong. Well, the rebuke exposes that former group of people And it corrects the latter so that they can be spiritually healthy. Verse 14 goes on to explain what what that health would look like. Look at verse 14. They'd be sound in the faith, verse 14, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. The circumcision party was adding the commandments of men to the gospel. 
One writer said the commandments of men in the New Testament refers to Jewish ceremonial rituals involving the religious concept of clean and unclean. Remember that as you read your Old Testament. Rebuking the false teachers and those listening to them would would, would protect from spiritual sickness and lead to spiritual health in the church. False teaching can't just be ignored or, or glossed over. Um, many of the vaccines being offered currently for COVID involve two shots, right? You get the one, and theoretically you're uh, a certain percentage safe or inoculated, and then you get the second, and that boosts that even further. How do you inoculate yourself against false teaching uh, on a, this particular medical issue or many other um, vaccine scenarios with our kids you get one one shot is good two is better right your kids get their first one then they get their second one how do you inoculate yourself against false teaching well you actually need uh two shots that paul is getting at in this text the first shot is the rejection of error you fight it on the one hand by silencing it rebuking it getting rid of it but the second shot is actually replacing that with truth We often call this uh, the replacement principle. You replace error with truth. You you replace, uh, even when you're fighting sin in your life, you realize this this is not good. God wants us to go. And by his grace, you you strive to fight that sin and lay it aside. Well, you want to lay that aside, but you also want to put something right and proper in its place. And that's what Paul's encouraging here. He wants you to immerse yourself in the truth of God's word, to read it for yourself. And to know it and to understand it better. And I think that's something that all of us want to ask for God's help with. God, would you help me to know your word better and to study it? And i got to get the wrong thoughts out of my mind. And, and, and anything that does not correspond to the gospel, anything that does not line up with the gospel or the truth of your word, even if my heart wants to believe that, I have to, by your grace and with your help, I have to get that out of my mind and I have to put something else there instead. The truth. Uh, someone in our church a few years back had, had trusted Christ, uh, was a, pr- a pretty new Christian, and I, they were talking, this person was talking to some other people in our church, and they described, I feel like I've got, my mind's like this, this bucket, and I've got all these thoughts and this way that I think, and it's like I need to dump that bucket out and replace what's in that bucket with, with what's in the Bible. And I think that, that's so true. And that's what Paul is driving at and here, here in this text. Because the threat is real, you must silence false teachers quickly. But, but with that, you've got to, the, the wrong has to go and the right has to come. You need God's truth coming into your mind and your heart all the time. And, and with this silencing false teachers, whether that be in your own heart, your own family, your church, are you willing to lovingly but courageously correct that? even if it's hard. Here's the catch. Sometimes false teachers won't really be corrected. And that reveals something about them. Remember I talked about maybe two different types of false teachers, the person who's deliberately trying to deceive and the other one who was deceived and is now passing this on. Well, in those moments, some people, well, here's the truth. They won't take the truth. Safeguard number three against false teaching. You must assess false teachers correctly. Who are these people? By nature, they are deceptive and they could quickly be thought of as something that they are not. 
If there, let's say, let's just go to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We see that a lot in North America. And, and we even, even in other countries, I remember our missionary Herb Hunter in South Africa. You may remember a couple of years ago he was here and he was talking about uh, ministering and sharing the gospel in South Africa. And he just said, you would not believe basically the, the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers in South Africa. Well, if you've got someone and they're healthy, they're wealthy, they're prosperous, and, and they're holding up the Bible, they may appear to be some kind of elite Christian with God's power and God's blessing while they're teaching error. Or if they've amassed a large following and they communicate well, you may think very, very highly of them. Oh, that's so-and-so. That's the prophet or that's the leader of our group. You can't touch him. In verses 15 and 16, God sets the record straight. God calls these people out for what they really, really are. In verse 15, we learn that they are spiritually corrupt. Look at verse 15. Paul writes there, uh, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But their minds and their consciences are defiled. Now, the pure in verse 15, that's a reference to believers, to Christians, those who have been purified from their sin by the Lord Jesus Christ. To them, Old Testament rituals and ceremonial purity don't matter anymore. They recognize that's not the gospel. In contrast, the false teachers were defiled and unbelieving. And remember that he's talking about the circumcision party, these, these Jewish converts or those who appeared to be Jewish converts who had converted to Christianity, no matter how many rituals and commandments of men that they taught and that they followed, God says they're defiled. Internally defiled. In fact, in verse 15, he mentions, mentions their, both their minds and their consciences being defiled. Yes, they're doing all these things uh, that, that are supposedly leading towards purity, but these people are defiled. Their false teaching taught some kind of purity, but false teachers are anything but that. They're anything but pure. They're spiritually corrupt. And then verse 16, God makes clear they're false professors. They have professed Jesus Christ. They have professed that they've been saved and that they are Christians, but that profession is false. Look at verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. False teachers profess to be Christians, but they are not. And their works are the living proof of it. And, and Paul's reminding Titus, he's reminding the Cretans, don't be deceived. There are going to be a lot of people who wear the Christian badge, they wear the Christian label, They'll, they've got Jesus, they've got a Bible but they're not true followers. True followers of Jesus Christ are the pure. They're, they are those who have been washed of their sins by Christ and Christ alone. They are those who recognize that Jesus Christ is God and that he came here to earth to die for my sins. And the only way that I, my sins can be cleansed, the only way that I can be right with God, the only way that I, I can have eternal life in, in heaven is through Christ and Christ alone in his work on the cross. It's not through my good works. It's not through my performance. It's not through my efforts. Jesus Christ did it all. 
And those who are truly pure are not those who have made themselves pure. They are those who have recognized their defilement and recognized the purity of Jesus Christ. And they've cried out to Jesus and said, God, I am a sinner. And I come with nothing in my hands. I cannot save myself. I can do nothing, period. But I believe. I believe that Jesus is is God and that he's pure. And he's satisfied God's wrath on the cross for me. I believe, I believe, I believe. God, would you forgive me? God, would you cleanse me? Those people, those people who repent and believe, they trust in the work of Christ. Those are the ones who are pure. It's not their own righteousness. It's not their own purity. It's the righteousness of Christ credited to their account. The threat is real. And God wants you to assess false teachers correctly. They are false professors. Be on guard against false teaching. Would you bow your head with me at this time as we conclude?